0: I got roots I got roots and I'm st- Shalom, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Roots. We are very excited about this new program, and we are very excited to have the opportunity to strengthen the roots of your faith uh, as you learn more about the scripture. Um, We wish to share from our hearts to encourage you in that faith. I hope that uh, as I share today about some of my testimony, about some of my backstory, uh, that you might find something that you can relate to, something that can be encouraging to your walk. And so as we go through and as we continue to grow in our faith and as we continue to uh, grow in this movement, the Messianic movement or the Hebrew Roots movement, uh, we want to continue to seek after the Father in everything that he's doing in our lives. and. Let the foundations of our beliefs in him be strengthened each and every day as we are encouraged by getting into his word and by sharing with one another. Right now, let me turn our time over to the Lord, and then we will get underway. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this night, this evening, Father, and we pray that uh, whatever I say here, Father, would be encouraging to the brethren, Lord. That it's not my message, Lord, or my testimony, Lord, but it is your testimony, your word, your instruction, Father. And so, Father, I pray that those that might hear it would be uplifted in their faith, that we would continue to keep our focus on you and you alone in all things that we do. Father, may we not only look to the knowledge and the word that are the words that are written in our scripture, but Father, may we always have our hearts turn, tuned to your spirit, Lord that you would guide us with your Holy Spirit in all of these things. So, Father, we love you. We bless you and we thank you for this time. In Yeshua's name, amen. As I said, we're going to be sharing here uh, here with our Roots program here, and I want to talk a little bit about um, my upbringing and some of the things that I've learned as time has gone on uh, so that it might be an encouragement to you. Um, my name is Ephraim Judah. I work here at Line of Land Ministries, and uh, many of you know that I'm the son of Monty Judah, who has been considered by many to be a pioneer inside the Messianic movement. And my testimony has been unique uh, as we've gone through, as I've lived my life and met many other brethren through the ministry. And it's been an amazing blessing, an amazing ride as we've uh, gone to do events such as the Feast of Tabernacles and our youth camp, the uh, Camp Yeshua. And as we've gone many years, lived many places, been in many congregations and fellowships and seen all of them the entire gamut of large congregations as well as small home fellowships and had the blessing to meet so many brethren uh over the years my testimony has been uh, fairly unique in that i've said i've gotten to say that i've grown up in this movement, in uh, believing not only in Yeshua, the Messiah, but also in following and keeping the Torah and the commandments and understanding the roots of the Christian faith through our father Abraham. And I've learned a great number of things as the years have gone by, but I've also gotten to meet many brethren who have a little bit of a different testimony, ones who have spent many, many years in the Christian church and then they learn, suddenly the scripture comes alive and they return back to the book of Genesis. They return back to our father Abraham. And then they start to see the roots of their Christian faith and how they, and, and how they've evolved over time. And then how certain, sometimes the agendas of, of men and uh, certain practices and, and traditions suddenly become what the modern Christian church is today. They see that, they learn the truth, they go back, then start reading their scripture, and then they feel like that they've inherited all sorts of lies from their upbringing. Me, I've walked much of my life in this understanding of following Torah, of keeping Sabbath on Saturday, of keeping kosher and all of these things. And so on one hand, um, sometimes I've had difficulty relating to those that have had to make a dramatic switch in their faith. While at the same time others have told me to be encouraged that the Lord has that I didn't have to go through some of those struggles and some of those trials. However, as I've gone through I can see I can see some of the mistakes that brethren have made when they have so much zeal to learn the truth that the second you start learning about the Torah commandments and and following Torah then suddenly you then get so much so excited and get so much zeal to share with someone else to to tell them, hey, th- this is what I read. This is what you're supposed to do and not do. And this is what you, what Jesus or Yeshua was doing. And, and he was keeping Torah and doing this. And then we're they're often very quick to point out brethren who are still walking in their Christian faith, who might still keep some of the traditions uh such as christmas or easter or they still don't eat kosher and then they often have this zeal to to tell them that they are that they're doing something wrong that they that don't you know those traditions are pagan and all of these things and what my testimony has always been one of a, with a great deal of patience one that says the the father has been gracious to us as we've walked through our lives for many many years and that we have to learn to show that same level of grace to our fellow brethren and to our family members. I may have grown up in the Messianic movement, growing up knowing uh, about kosher and the Sabbath. And have been to many uh, congregations before and have done the blessings on Sabbath for many years. Um, my family still, over a long period of time, learned these things gradually. Um, I was still, we, my family still celebrated Christmas when I was three years old. We still, um, when it came time that we were learning about Passover and the things of, of cleaning out the leaven in our homes we still never understood sometimes what those things meant. We'd, we'd get some list that somebody shared with us a long time ago, and we would follow the rabbinic list of what to take out of our homes. And that included all of the the more cases, not just the bread and the wheat and, and things like that, but we'd always clear out the rice and the corn. And we'd follow the list of the what's called the kitniot, which is the extended list of the rabbis. And as time went on, we learned that more of what the spirit of what was going on there, what we were to learn when it meant to clear out the leaven. We found some other brethren that followed more of the Shepardic tradition, and then we started realizing, you know what, we we don't have to remove the corn, we don't have to remove the rice, and that our meals during the Feast of Unleavened Bread suddenly became more pleasant, and, and Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread became more of a delight in our family to keep, when we were maybe creating a list of our own and letting the Father sort of lead us rather than just following what some tradition had been passed down for a great deal of time. My family went through these things very gradually, very gradually. When we meet new brethren who just came into the Hebrew roots of their faith and they, within three months' time, they pull their kids out of public school. They leave their Christian church. They stop doing Christmas. They didn't go to their family's Christmas uh, um, meal, dinner, whatever it was. And um, they make these changes so quickly and so rapidly because of the zeal of the father to, to do what what is right. The thing that I have always wanted to share with people and through my experience is my family learned this over time. And you yourself should learn it over time as well. The Father is gracious to us, to work with us, even through any mistakes that we make as we go about our walks. And he's continually gracious to us for every mistake. And you can think about this, that maybe you've been in your walk of of faith for 30 years or, or been a part of a Christian church for a great deal of time. And then the Lord you know, reveals something to you. And then you realize how merciful and gracious God was to you through that whole time. Yet when we then come into this walk, sometimes we look around and we look around at our other brethren, and we don't always afford them the same level of grace that God afforded to us for such a great deal of time. And I can see that in my own personal walk in my own family, that um, you know we're constantly we're, we we were seeking after the Father. We thought we were doing things right, but we we had we had lots of struggles and trials and, and things that every normal family goes through. And that, you know, God is still gracious to us through that process. I would counsel with any brethren who, you know, as soon as they come into this walk, they they start to remove some of those man-made traditions that were so much a part of a Christian or New Testament faith, such as Christmas, for instance, that then when when they then ask us questions, they send questions into the ministry and they say, what do I do with my family? That they, uh, I don't keep Christmas anymore, but they still want to keep Christmas and they in, invite us over. And one of the things through through many uh, testimonies that we've heard is that we counsel with brethren, don't burn the bridges between you and your family. If you're going to ever, your hope and your prayer is for them to come to the same understanding that you've come to. You hope that they would see maybe your example, your testimony, and you might share with them and say, hey, you know, this tradition isn't necessarily biblical. In fact, it's got some origins that aren't aren't so good. And so that's why we choose to not keep them. If you get into a fight with a family member, over the traditions of, of Christmas, and if it gets to the point to where you just you, you disassociate with them and you don't fellowship with them, then where is the opportunity for your testimony to minister to them? Where is the opportunity for them, for them to possibly see the light? Because they put up walls, you burn the bridge, you, you lose the relationship or the connection that you might have to where you can use what God has done for you to be a testimony to others. That's what I think is very important for all of us to learn is that all of our stories, all of our testimonies, good or bad, no matter if we've had bad things happen to to you or to loved ones. The thing is, is as you go and you ask the Lord, Lord, why did this happen to me? Why, why did you choose me? Why am, why did I come into this understanding? Or why did this certain thing happen to me? It's for us. I believe the Lord has revealed time and time again, that it's because it's his story, it's for his glory that things happen to you and it's not your story to share, it's the Lord's. Because you never know when your testimony will, be a, uh, will minister to somebody else and be an encouragement to someone else. And that's what I think we all need to endeavor to do. And so one of the things about that is that we have to remain in fellowship with one another, with our family members. We can't disassociate ourselves from the fellowship. I think some of us at times, come to learn some commandments of scripture and then we isolate ourselves. Uh we become introverted in that, okay, well if if nobody's gonna listen, I, I don't know if I wanna deal with having to, to to tell this person this or share this with 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 my family member or whoever it might be. I'm just gonna go and I just as long as I have the word and I have the Lord, I'm gonna go and exile myself and it's just gonna be me and God and that'll be wonderful. Well, you can learn a lot of things and you can be built up in knowledge. The thing is, is the scripture emphatically says it's not good for man to be alone, is that we so much is the commandments that's given about loving our neighbor and what we're supposed to do with our neighbor. We're we're meant to fellowship together. We're meant to be together with with fellow brethren in communities, in families. It's not good for us to be alone. And so that's why we have to build up our fellowships with the commandment that says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you remove yourself from communities and 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 disassociate with other groups and, and so you, you exile yourself to where you then no longer have any neighbors, then how can you keep the commandment to love your neighbor? It almost uh, implies that it's better for us to have neighbors and to have that fellowship. And that is so we can lift one one another up. We can be an encouragement to one another. So that's one of my first testimonies to people coming into, the, into their, the Hebrew roots of their faith. As they start to read the Torah and the commandments and these things, don't go become a Torah terrorist and start telling everybody what they're, what they're doing wrong. And you, people put up walls, bridges get burnt, and then your testimony then does not have the power and the strength that it could when the Father is trying to do something with you. I think one of the other things I've learned as time has gone on is this, is that as many of us grew up in the Christian church, many brethren who we have met over time. And we remember and we hear all those words and those instructions and we are encouraged. And many brethren are still excited every single week to put on Sunday's best and to go to church and fellowship with brethren. And many of us, the first time that we ever heard the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, Matthew 22, it's recounted in every gospel. And the the Messiah also said, the second greatest commandment is like the first, and it says, love your neighbor as yourself. The first time any of us ever heard those commandments, we were sitting on a pew on Sunday in a church somewhere. And that sometimes when we then come into a new understanding of our faith and we, uh, suddenly then go and join a, a messianic fellowship, there's brethren who have a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater, if you will. That they feel we've inherited so many lies from the tr- Christian church that then we want to disassociate with anything that looks like the Christian church. Our, our fellowships and our communities shouldn't look like a Christian community. And it shouldn't, our, it's better if our fellowship hall isn't in a church instead in a ballroom and there's not pews and there's not a pulpit and it doesn't look like a church. We have a tendency to to shy away from those things when somebody has stepped away from the Christian church. The problem is is brethren throw the baby out with the bathwater. They throw away sometimes the content, the love and some of the, and all of the good things that that church or that fellowship did for them for their life. And uh, there's many people in, sit, sitting in, in church pews on Sundays who have the Spirit of the Lord inside of them that, that tell them, that, that give them that, that gut feeling of what's right and what's wrong. And that's what I believe the Holy Spirit does for us. It speaks to us. When, when a small child does something and they did something that they shouldn't have done, in their gut they know what they did was wrong. In their heart of hearts, they know. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know when something's right and you know when something's wrong. And if you substitute that, that sometimes uh, uh, certain churches and denominations that maybe emphasize or overemphasize the moving of the Holy Spirit, and then you replace that with just simply reading the words that are in the Bible, you have a tendency to forget that God is spirit and truth. That that spirit works hand-in-hand hand with truth. In fact, the reason why you fell in love with the, the commandments and the Torah from the scripture is because the words on the page finally confirmed what was in your spirit and in your gut the whole time. That's when something comes alive, when you read something for the first time and it's almost like it, you felt like you always knew it, there's a familiarity with it. And that's one of the reasons why many brethren come into a love of keeping the Torah and the commandments in the messianic movement or the hebrew roots movement but we can't forget the spirit of the lord and when it moves inside of us and gives us then and is that that gut check that that we felt and we can't throw out and forget the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment to love the lord your god with all our heart soul and might and to love our neighbor as ourselves, because the first time we ever heard that was in a christian church those come from torah those are those are good commandments for us to learn and to follow the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, soul, and might that that's what, that 's what that God comes first in our lives, and the second, like the first love your neighbor as yourself." I find it fascinating that that commandment, "Love your neighbor as yourself." The only place that that's uh, explicitly stated in the Torah is in Leviticus chapter nineteen, which um, if those anybody that 's familiar with the Torah cycle that in the in messianic congregations and also in Jewish synagogues they read from the Torah cycle they they read over the course of a year they read all of the Torah portions and the Torah portion that uh that commandment comes from is the same Torah portion that is contains Leviticus chapter 18 which is the one that many people get kind of squeamish with all the different uh commandments of of morality and what is holy and what is profane, especially dealing with a great deal of sexual sins is encompassed in that Torah portion. And so when uh, sometimes Christians will look back at Levitical commandments and look back at the book of Leviticus and and consider that the old law that has been done away with when the verse that they, you know, could quote at any point in time, what is, you know, what's the second greatest commandment? Every Christian can probably answer that for you. And they say, love their neighbor as yourself. And then you say, hey, well, where in Scripture is that? They, some of them would be very surprised to find it in the book of Leviticus, that that is the, the commandments that, have to, that are dealing with holiness and how we are to walk uprightly before the Lord and how we are to be a holy people and to not be like the nations. And so if we have a tendency to, to forget everything that the Christian church does, then we will sometimes forget Some of those baseline instructions that cause us to seek fellowship and to enjoy fellowship with one another. So I always want to encourage the brethren to follow after not only the written words of the law, but what does the spirit of God tell you when you have a question about the scripture? Do you go before the Lord and do you ask and say, uh, well, Lord, reveal with your Holy Spirit. What are you trying to tell me here? And sometimes the Holy Spirit will will give you an answer. And then you can share that with with one another and you can say, hey, well, the spirit kind of led me. I, I think this is what it is. And that's how we communicate. And that's how we share what the father has revealed to us. It's not just some piece of knowledge or, or, or some some uh, lexicon entry or something. Where we go and we share with brethren and then and then somebody's like, oh, that's interesting. I once had a conversation one time that, that, that somebody was saying that uh, they found so many interesting things. They, they were talking about all these studies and all these things that they've learned. And, and they said, I was like, well, well, what does that do for you or, or how does that help any other brethren? And they said that, well, it, it, I just find it very interesting. And it's like, and I, I think I said to them this. I said, well, I'm, I'm not in the business of, being, of just finding something interesting or, or speaking something that's interesting to people. Working in ministry, I desire to change people's lives. That's what I want to do. I I don't endeavor to just find something that's interesting. And I think how we do that is we communicate what has been discerned by the Holy Spirit and then is shared with one another. So I encourage brethren to continue to remain in fellowship. Don't burn bridges between you and fellow brethren. And sometimes there's something that the Lord has revealed to us to do, sometimes in a messianic congregation, that it's okay if it looks... Christian. It's okay if it sounds Christian. It's okay because not everything the Christian church does is wrong. So I, that's what I encourage you to do. Have the same grace for all of our fellow brethren. And this goes to the Jew as well and to the Christian. The same grace that the Father has had for you throughout your entire life. Extend that same grace to our fellow brethren as well. One of the things that's even harder than that, as hard as that is, to always be gracious to, to our fellow brethren. Is to have grace for yourself. I think one of the things that I've seen a great deal, and this is a testimony that I've known as I've met many of the youth in this movement that have either come to our youth camp or come to some of our events and been our, in our youth programs there, is that uh, sometimes a group, a uh, set of parents would come into the truth and the knowledge of the Hebraic roots of their faith. They'll pull their kids out of youth group, they'll pull their kids out of school. And suddenly they find themselves alone and the youth is kind of, you know, drugged very rapidly through the mud sometimes to, you know, they're just following what their parents are, have done and their parents are so zealous for the truth that sometimes they get a little left behind. And they, and sometimes we have to encourage them and say, well, you know, one, you have to still honor your father and your mother. Two, you know, try to understand what they're learning and those things and then all they can say is, well, I don't have any friends anymore. Or, you know, I did, I've lost my youth group and we're not going to do Christmas anymore and there's a great deal of sadness that comes from the youth. And that's something that, you know, every family kind of has to deal with and, and you, and that's why I really recommend going very gradually, learn things over time and allow your kids to, to follow suit and also other family members around you. Allow them to, to follow suit and understand and don't just, have so much zeal that you forget about the well-being, the mental and and social well-being of some of the members of your family. And so what I would encourage brethren to have is have grace for yourself in the sense that you're not going to do everything right, right from the start. We're not going to understand every interpretation of every commandment and how to immediately how to keep Sabbath in our home, how to have a good Passover Seder, what we're to do for this holiday or this particular time of the year or when this happens, you know, in our neighborhood. What are we going to do? Have some grace for yourself to understand that the the Lord was gracious to you throughout all of these things that extend that same grace to you, and you have to learn to learn your own value, that God saw you so valuable that he's giving you this word, giving you this instruction. But be encouraged and have that same value for yourself, and don't feel like you have to make up for lost time. Because what it is, is we're all on the journey of life and, and in our walk to learn about the ways of the Lord, to learn about his, his scripture and his understanding. The Bible is so full of amazing stories and testimonies. And going back and when you do study the Torah, you you find so many of these parallels and and it makes the scripture come alive. And when you see the parallels of Moses and Joseph and you parallel them to the Messiah, then your testimony and belief in Yeshua the Messiah becomes much stronger in in all of these things. And in fact, you, you go back and you look and you see this people called Israel and you see who they are and who they were and, and then you, you, like, you picture yourself there. If you had been there, if you had been in Egypt, if you had seen these miracles, if, if the sin of the golden calf had happened right in front of you, if you had heard the voice from the mountain, and I think so much of us identify with that. There's some of us that can say we're Jewish. They can say by heritage, they're Jewish. I I can say that. My last name's Judah. I know my heritage. I'm the eighth generation of Judah that's lived here in America. And I can trace my lineage further back than that, back to Switzerland and and things like that. And so some of us do look to our heritage for that, that. And that's how they take ownership of the words and the commandments. If you can convince yourself that you're a part of Israel or if you can prove that you're a part of Israel, then suddenly the words become even more meaningful, so to speak, that uh, that those words, they're meant for you, they were to your ancestors. When you can look back and you can say your ancestors were there, that can be an encouragement to you. However, the one thing that I always have wanted to to caution people, and one of the ways that I, am, I humble myself in this way is, is this, is even if somebody is of natural heritage of Israel, if they know what tribe they're from and they know what their ancestry looks like, that doesn't make them better than anybody else in the eyes and in the family of God. makes no difference. The biblical concept of adoption is this, is that even if there was a son that was not born naturally of the family, they would still come, if they were adopted in, they would have equal shares and equal rights to the inheritance as if they were a naturally born son. And that's how we should look at who we are in the Lord. That none of us is better than the other one because of our heritage, because of our name, because of what tribe we're from. If you remember in the Exodus, the children of Israel, when they left Egypt, it was a mixed multitude. There were Egyptians there. There were Ethiopians there. There was people from all other walks that joined in and were a part of the tribes of Israel one of the leaders of Israel Caleb the son of Jephunneh was a Kenizzite uh, that he he was not even naturally born but he was elevated to be a leader in the tribes of Israel so when you are so one of us many of us endeavor to seek the, the roots of our heritage of where we come from it's almost, I think it's a very natural for us to feel that way however when you go back and then whenever you do find that answer or find where you're from, if you find that you're not of Israel, that you are from, from some other people of the nations, then what? Does that mean that the laws and the commandments are not for you? Does that mean that when you feel like you've heard from the Lord, and that it, and, and, but because you're not actually a citizen, that then it doesn't matter? No. That means that you then are just adopted in, and then you get to be adopted in, into the family of Israel, into one of the tribes. And so that's one of the things that many brethren, I think, fall into the snare of needing to know that they're a part of something, needing to find their identity in Israel and with the Lord. The thing is, is we're defined by the Lord himself, by God who made us in his image. If you identify, if you keep the commandments of God, then you are a part of the family of God. That's how you are identified. You're not identified by the color of your skin or your physical features or the the pedigree of your lineage is not what identifies you according to the Lord. What identifies you is, do you love him and do you keep his commandments? We field many questions here in the ministry of brethren wanting to know that they are a part of something, they have that identity. Somebody says, "Hey, I did my lineage, my my ancestry, and I found out I'm from the tribe of Benjamin." Amen and amen. Congratulations. There's others that want to ask that ask a lot of questions about, um, you know, Yeshua was he was Yeshua a black man? And there's entire denominations of of brethren who want to identify more with Yeshua if they can say that his lineage was more like them. And so there's entire denominations that are all about identifying with a particular group of people. There's also a lot of questions. This might seem unrelated, but it actually, I believe it is. There's a lot of questions about whether tattoos are allowed according to Scripture. And in the Torah, it's not. And it says God calls us to be a holy people. We're not to mark our bodies. Why is that related to the subject? Well, what it is, is in ancient times, people were tattooed if they were marked and identified as something. If they're identified as a criminal if they are identified as a slave, that they would would be branded to identify who they belong to. The thing is, is if we desire to be a part of the family of God, then whatever we represent of ourselves should represent God and represent our master. We don't want to be misidentified as belonging to somebody or something or some organization or some other master other than the Most High God who created us. And that's why those things and those markings are, are... People ask a lot of questions because so much... They want to find an identity. That's why there's gangs. That's why there's the, you, you have to mark yourself to identify with a gang because you are seeking a family. Those, those kids who are struggling in those areas... They're seeking a family. They're seeking justification and validation that they didn't get from their natural family. So they, so somebody says, I'll welcome you into my family. All you got to do is take this mark, look this way, and act this way, and then you'll be a part of the family. Well, that's how they do it in gangs. But then what we do is if we want to be a part of the family of God, then we need to understand, well, then how should we carry ourselves? What are the things we should do? And what kind of identifying marks should we use to identify ourselves, one of the things that I encourage a lot of brethren, and especially young kids, there's a lot of people that are very uh, uh, about very they feel importance in their appearance. Their appearance is very important to them, how they look in a group or 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 amongst friends. And that people sometimes are put down because of their appearance. And I think one of the things we all know is we want to encourage brethren and and young kids and say that they're all beautiful. You're all a child of God. You're made in His image. And that when you look in the mirror and anything, if if you have a problem with the way that you look, then understand that God made you the way He desired you to look. Every mark, every freckle, every beauty mark is God put there as His identifying marks for you. And so I always want to be an encouragement to the brethren that, that instead of looking for any validation that would come from any other man or any other organization or denomination that, you said, that tells you to wear this, identify with this, mark yourself this way and act this way, then you're a part of our family. We need to look to our creator, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, for our identity. That's what we need to be seeking at all times and not seeking you know, validation from someone else. That it's only God that that, that validates us. And if we carry ourselves appropriately, then we can call ourselves and, uh, and, and consider ourselves to be a part of the family of God. And we have equal rights and shares to that inheritance, to his kingdom, to all the blessings that are at his table. They all are allowed and afforded to us, no matter where we come from. I think there's one, a lot of people do perpetuate this idea of racism that because you have this heritage versus this heritage, then you're better than someone else. And we need to get past that. We need to remove that. And when when we're talking about the tribes of Israel and we go into the history of it, we know that the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel were scattered into captivity. They went into the nations. They didn't know who they were, and we still don't know where they are. And that then the Jews, the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, they went into captivity as well. And then there's been times in which now in in recent history, they've returned back to the land of Israel. And we're still looking for the restoration of the whole house of Israel and all of these people that could be naturally born citizens of of the tribes of Israel. However, as we learn in the New Testament, that all, that the Israel is likened to an olive tree. All the branches have been broken and all must be grafted back in. That means we're all equal heirs to all the blessings of the kingdom and what it is to be a part of Israel. So that's something I want to always encourage brethren to keep in mind as we learn more is that it's not about your heritage and your identity as man would define it, but it's as God sees you. Something else I want to always encourage, brethren, is this, is humility. Whenever you come into faith and, and, and in believing in something, it always comes from, very, uh, from a place of humility, if you will. Sometimes people don't turn to the Lord or turn to His Word unless they're down on their luck, unless they've are, unless they gotten to a point in their life to where they, they have nowhere else to turn and then somebody lifts them up, picks them up from the ash heap, gives them a Bible and suddenly they come into faith in God. And you cannot have a faith in God without humility because what it is, the basis of it is, is there is an omniscient being, the creator of heaven and earth, that is greater than you. And you have to accept that, that he's greater than than you are. So there's an element of humility right then and there. Well, as you continue to go and as you continue to learn, you learn what the importance of that the scripture tells us to help our neighbor, to give to the needy, that help the poor, clothe the naked, and that you humble yourself down to, be, so that you can be a blessing to others. Humility is extremely important. Whenever you become a believer, does it, does life suddenly become easy at that point in time? That you, say you, you, somebody's been walking in a, a certain walk of life that maybe has been, you know, less than moral or less than good, and then they become a believer, and they turn their heart over to the Lord, they invite the Lord into their heart, and then suddenly life gets better, right? Well, no. Sometimes it gets harder. Sometimes you receive persecution or ridicule because of the new things that you now believe. Oh, well, okay, well, you know, we know you back from back in the day. You you acted a certain way back then, so why are you so much better now? See, we, we know the truth. That doesn't, just because you believe in God now, it doesn't make any difference. That's what some people might say to someone. And that can be very discouraging. And what it is, is that it, the Lord will humble you at some point in your life. In Luke chapter 14, we have the parable of the man who comes into the, into the feast and sits at the place of honor, and then the master comes along and has to then remove him from that place and put him in a humble chair and put him, you know, lower. And then, what is, so he counsels with you, if you go in, sit at the lowest place. So when the master comes by and says, no, brother, you deserve to sit up here, you know, with the master, and then you're exalted. And the, and the final conclusion of that is, those that humble themselves will be exalted and those that exalt themselves will be humbled. What we can learn from that phrase is this. At some point in all of our lives, we will be humbled and we will be exalted. But you have the choice of when that is. When we'll we'll all be humbled and we'll all be exalted. Will we be humbled in a mortal life so that we can be exalted in eternity? Or will we exalt ourselves in this life so that then when the master comes calling, then he'll humble us and we will be least in the kingdom for, the re- for eternity. At all times, at, one of our, at some point in time in our life, we'll be humbled and we'll be exalted. We have to decide which one, at which time are we going to be humbled and which time are we going to be exalted. And I would encourage the brethren to always look to those that are in need and always come from a place of humility. In their walk and when they go to share with the brethren, that's something that I've had to learn is I don't want anybody to hand anything to me because of my name or my position or my heritage or, or, or anything like that. I want to come in at a place of humility and say, you know, and, and earn it for myself. And, and I always want to endeavor to, to better myself so that then there might become a time when somebody will, you know, elevate me to a new status. And I don't want that to be my doing or my choosing. I want that to be the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit that would cause that to happen. And I encourage other brethren to do the same. One of the other things when it comes to being in this movement, in this walk, is that we do put an emphasis on the keeping of Torah. It's what distinguishes us from, we believe in Yeshua of Nazareth as our Messiah, but then we also look to the commandments and we look to when Yeshua spoke and he said, these are my commandments that I give to you that you are to do them, we believe those are the, the same commandments that were given from Mount Sinai to Moses and to the children of Israel, that Yeshua himself was the law giver, and those were his commandments. Many of us look to the commandments, and we, and at first it's a daunting task to look and see that it's like, oh, how can we keep all of the commandments? Well, be encouraged that there's only so many commandments that you yourself in your station of life need to follow. You know, that you if you're a man, you don't have to follow the commandments for women. If you're not a priest, you don't have to follow the commandments for the priests. If you're a child, then you don't have to follow the commandments for adults. And so when it's all said and done for all the brethren, for all the people, it kind of boils down to if you can just keep about 10 commandments, that'll kind of cover all of it. And that's obviously facetious that we have the Ten Commandments, that we believe everybody can follow those commandments. And then those can be boiled down to love God, love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from them, you won't murder from them, and you won't covet something from them. If you love God, then you're going to not take his name in vain. You're going to keep his Sabbaths and his appointed times, and you're not going to make any other gods. So if you can keep those two commandments, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, because on the law and the prophets, those all hang those two commandments, then we can then do what the Lord has called us to do. Now, many of us call ourselves Torah observant, Torah observant. So that means that we view the commandments, we read them, we study them, and we observe them as they go by. And I'm saying that in a way to where when we come to Sabbath on Saturday, do we just sort of observe Sabbath go by and we just say, yeah, there it is. The Sabbath is coming. Here it is. There it goes. Then back to the daily grind. No, because we are implored by the Bible and by the scripture in multiple places. Joshua chapter one, Romans chapter two, James chapter one, that tell us to not just be observers of the law, but doers of the law, doers. We have to learn how to apply those things in the ways that, that the scripture gives us the instruction. But then what does that mean to us? How, how do we apply it and why do we do it? We do Sabbath, we do that rest for many reasons. One, God said so. Two, it's the time in which he rests and he gives us an appointed time that we can meet with him. Three, naturally, our our human bodies need rest at that time. We have to not only look at the Sabbath and remember it and observe it as it goes by, but to actually take action, be proactive in our keeping of the commandments. Many of us sometimes go so heavily into the study to understand all the different meanings of, and, and, and we read the word all the time, but then we we forget to do it. I said it earlier already where it said the, the brother who wants to just go and exile themselves in, and, and become a recluse and it's, they've got them and they have the word and they have God. And then when it comes to love their neighbor, they don't have to worry about that one because they don't have any neighbors. No, we are called to be doers of the law, to execute them so that we, we have to proactively love our neighbor. And husbands, you, you go into, you understand this inside your own marriages with, with your wife. That it's like, you, you can't just say all the time, I, I love you, I, I, I love you very much, or, or, uh, and, or you go about your life and you don't tell her that you love her and you just continue to act and function and that doesn't, that doesn't really go very well with you if you're not in the process of being proactive in your marriage and loving your spouse, loving your spouse is a day-in, day-out effort on your part. Because otherwise, your spouse can look at you and say, I don't know if you love me because you don't do it in this way or that way. And so I think that's the same way where we can't prove that we love God unless we're keeping His commandments and doing them. I want to take us to Romans chapter two. I want to look at that because it's very interesting when you read uh, Paul speaking to the Romans and and, and talking about this subject uh, specifically. Let's read Romans chapter two, starting at verse 12. For as many have sinned without law and will also perish without law. For as many have sinned in the law and will be judged by the law for not The hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are the law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else accusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Yeshua, the Messiah, according to my gospel. This is amazing to think and to realize is that when you do the law, even if you don't have the words or the commandments spoken to you audibly, when you go and do it in your heart, then you are keepers of the law and you prove that you love God. I could tell a story of a man who uh, loves his wife, loves his kids, eats healthy. Um, he, he, he always uh, rests uh, at least one day out of the week. And he takes that day to spend time with his kids and to teach them. And he has a good sense of morality and right and wrong. He doesn't break the law. He doesn't have any tattoos. And he learned all of these things because he used to be a kid that was uh, made mistakes. But then a school counselor got a hold of him and then told him that it's like, you're going to end up in prison if you continue to act this way. So he learned from a school counselor that to do right by, by people, to be a good person, to be a kind person, and he loves his neighbors, and he's, and he's a good person. Nowhere did I say that he had the instruction of religion or any knowledge or understanding of God, but he himself, according to the book of Romans here, has the law in and of itself because it's written upon his heart, even if he has never heard the law before, even if he's a Gentile and has never heard the words before. You describe that kind of person, and if you ask anyone, you ask any lady, it's all like, would you like to be married to a man like that? The answer would be yes. Men, would you like to live your life like that? Yes. Why is it that sometimes even those that have faith in God and have all of the instructions, that we don't go that far and truly live our lives in that way? Because the doers of the law will be the ones who are great in the kingdom of heaven, regardless of the knowledge that they've been shared or or regardless of what church or congregation or social function they attended on a weekly basis if you do the law if you keep the law then you are a child of god and you are a part of his family and that person is a humble person and they love the lord that's what our roots need to reflect we we can spend a long time talking about all the words and in the instructions and, and who we heard them from and what rabbi we learned this from. And, and, and we can recount all the, all the times, that all the churches we've been to and what pastors we liked and didn't like and what brethren we liked and didn't like. And we can talk about all those things. When the rubber hits the road, who are we and what do we do? What do your roots that are under the ground look like? That's one of the reasons why we, this program is, is, is so neat and how we look at ourselves that we very much can relate ourselves to God created trees, God also created us. And it's amazing the parallels that are there, that trees have roots that go into the ground and you can have a tree and you can't see the roots. You don't know how big the root system is, you don't know how strong, how healthy or how good they are. But what you can see is the tree. You can see how strong it is and you can see the fruit that it bears, it's good fruit. You can safely assume the tree's good. The roots are good. It's healthy and it's good. But you could have a tree that looks perfectly fine, that's in an orchard with all the other trees, but the fruit it produces is bad. And deep down underneath underneath the soil that you can't see, the roots are bad. The roots are unhealthy. The roots have something that's afflicting them, that's, that's coming against them. Perhaps there's a root of bitterness within it that, that is causing the tree, though, though it looks good, the fruit is not bearing out what should be there. I think that's a way that can describe many brethren in, in a walk of faith and, and in a walk of life. So what is the fruit that's being bared? Is it good fruit? Is the, is the root good? Let's say you don't know where the roots are, how big they are, or where they came from. I'm describing somebody who maybe doesn't know their heritage. Just like the roots of a tree, it's underground. You can't see it. You can't find it. You don't know where they are or how deep they go. However, you're judged by the fruit that you bear. And that's what matters. And that's what matters to in us and in our walk and in our, in our faith is what fruit do we bear? That will then tell you if the root is good. I could, some could stand up and, and say, you know, it's like my my heritage. I come from a family of of nobles, and 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 he can claim that his roots are as strong and as good as can be. But then they, he has a child that is is a wicked person, is despicable, dishonors him, dishonors God, d- d- goes off and does all manner of things. And at that point, you say, you're like, okay, your your roots might be good and strong, but the fruit that you bear. Is not is not good and is not what anybody wants to partake of. That's something that we should look at ourselves in that way. What are we portraying to those around us? Do we portray a testimony of love? Do we portray a testimony of of humility, being humble? And it's like God God blesses us and he encourages us. Do we extend all the grace? to our fellow brethren that might not be in the same walk or or on the same path that we're on? Do we extend that grace in the same way that the Lord does? At that point then, people can see us and look at us and see that we're bearing good fruit, regardless of what the roots look like. So that's what I really want to encourage the brethren to do, that even though though sometimes it's a struggle in, in your walk and in your faith, that it's all in how you act, it's how you carry yourself, and that you can change, and even if you find out your roots come from some place that's not, has nothing to do with Israel, you can identify with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you can identify with His Word, His commandments. And then suddenly you can be nourished with that word, with that instruction, and then suddenly you're, it's almost as if you put fertilizer on a tree and suddenly it starts to bear fruit in its season that is good and sweet and then becomes a benefit to many other brethren. That's what I encourage all of you to do that, you know, my, my life and my testimony as I've grown in this walk and in this movement I've seen many things happen. I've got to um, be a part of many congregations and, and do these things. And it does not matter how many congregations I've been to. It doesn't matter how many years that I've been in this movement or been in a walk of ke- of keeping and doing Torah and have a faith in Yeshua the Messiah when I accepted the Lord when I was a young man. And just because somebody just accepted the Lord yesterday and somebody has walked and attended church for for 30 years and accepted the Lord when they were seven years old again, does not make any, either of them any less an heir to the kingdom of God. And that's what we need to continue to walk with and, and strengthen and lift up one another regardless of, of where we come from. So that's my heart and that's my intent. That's what I desire to do, to always share a message in love and to encourage the brethren in any way that I can. And with, if my testimony is not my own, but it's for the Lord to do as he sees fit. So I hope that you're encouraged by this message, that you continue to walk a path of faith and continue to learn and seek out not only the knowledge that God shares, which is which is a good thing. But may we learn to apply those things and the principles of those things to never forget to love God and love our neighbor as ourself, that if we don't if we can't understand how to do those things then it's as if all of the commandments and the rest of everything else in the scripture is null and void. If we cannot portray that and if that is not a part of our testimony. So I hope and pray that this is encouraging to you and may we always continue to look forward to the kingdom. We pray that the Father's kingdom come very soon in all things and that his will be done in all things. Amen. Heavenly Father, We come before you on this day and we thank you, Lord, for your teaching and your instruction. Father, I pray that uh, at all times our brethren could be encouraged to continue to walk in this faith. I pray that, Father, that you would just uh, bless them mightily in all things and be an encouragement, Lord, to all of those who have given of themselves to minister to others, Lord. For this ministry, for all of the other ministries and congregations that we co-labor with, Father, may you continue to lead us and guide us with your Holy Spirit, in all things. And Father, bring us the brethren, Lord, that need to hear your word and your instruction. May we never shy away from sharing your word, Lord, and sharing the commandments that you give to us, Lord. So Father, I pray that uh, we would just continue to be encouraged in all things, Lord. We pray your kingdom come very soon. We love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us the gift of salvation through your son, Yeshua, the Messiah, Lord. And we look to him and through him all things are created and through him all things are for your glory. So we love you and bless you and thank you on this day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.